Welcome to the FE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. Lockdown happened. My sister was in Spain in a tiny little flat and I just thought, oh no, I need to do something for her. And that's kind of where those movement meditations started. Um, and I've just been building on them. And it, at the time, it wasn't a thing of, oh, this is going to be the intervention that's for my PhD. It was just, I know what the problem is with you sitting at home all day long because I've got it in writing. Um, how can I turn it around and make it better for you? Hello and welcome to FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher-Saxon and my partner in crime is... It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. It's the autumn term. It's getting chilly. Right. Okay. So um, after the huge success of our last release, our September release, which was Professor Gertby Esther, so check that out if you haven't heard that, people, um, we now have... Um, somebody to talk well it's really fascinating topic actually she's part way through her PhD so we've got Gillian Hip who is an FE and HE um, lecturer in a specialist art college uh, and her area of research well she'll tell us all about it herself oh I must tell you what else she doesn't know she doesn't just do one thing oh no 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 she's also a somatic coach and dance movement psychotherapist and doing a PhD so welcome to the podcast Gillian hello Hello, thank you for having me. So, I mean, you know, obviously incredibly busy. I can't believe that you're, you're fitting in a PhD um, with all of that work. But do you want to tell us about, you know, what your PhD is about? Yeah, that'd be lovely. So um, I'm looking at how the movement theories of Rudolf Laban uh, can be applied to the 21st century sedentary workplace to promote well-being. So we all know that nowadays we tend to sit at our computers all day and as a movement person, I get very itchy feet a lot of the time. So um, I was I'm just interested in how we can get moving during our working day, basically. Yeah, um, I think I reckon it's um, people's smartwatches that are making them move. Yeah. Do you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's what I'm looking at at the moment. Getting a, getting a watch to make me move. Um, so people won't have heard, um, well, unless they're in your field, they won't have heard of Rudolf. So who was he? What did he write about? Well, Rudolf Laban, uh, as I said, was a movement theorist and he um, sort of did a lot of work in the 20th century, um, especially in the 1930s and 40s when he actually moved over to England. Um, and he was asked by uh, various um, companies to come into the company to observe how the workers, often women at the time during the war efforts, um, how they were conducting their work. He was would observe their movements and then tweak the movements to ensure that their work would be more efficient. So the whole idea was to enhance productivity. In that process, however, he discovered that people's job satisfaction also improved. So that's where I'm sort of hooking into going, actually, you know, he, he said something there, but it was never, you know, there were no figures looking at how well people were feeling at that time. They were just looking at how many tyres have been shifted from one place to the other or how many cherries have been picked. Um, so that that's that's what he's about. He's 
he's created um, a notation system that's similar to music notation. So he's really a massive reason as to why we can study dance at university nowadays, because we can, you know, with his, this, this tool that we now have, dance isn't just something that fleets by and is gone. It, it can be recorded in a way that can then be replicated. Um, so we have, you know, Trinity Lab in, in London, which is a massive dance school that is dedicated to Rudolf Laban's work, basically. So he's, he's massive in the movement and drama, sort of performing arts industry. Mm. And his theories sort of pop up all over the place. And it's the theories that I've um, had to learn and be introduced to through my dance movement psychotherapy course in particular. Okay, so it started in a place of productivity, but you flipped it into focusing on well-being. Yeah. So, so why why the interest then in well-being in your workplace? Ah, so I started well, straight after college. I started working in the FE um, environment, and um, I'm sure your listeners, if that's where they work too, can remember their first couple of years of working in teaching, where you just end up spending hours and hours preparing and scheme of working and lesson planning and all those things. And just that whole balance was a bit skew, I suppose, but I wanted to do it all. I, you know, I wanted to do my studies. I wanted to work. I wanted to teach. Um, but I, I then had a car accident and noticed when, you know, I was then injured that I should be able to switch off and just relax and heal. And that just didn't happen for me. I just didn't know how to switch off after those several years of just working, working, working. So I think that was for me the real key moment of something needs to change. I need better balance. There's something about... Um, you know, having that balance between life and work and it doesn't always have to be work. So finding ways of calming down, being able to switch off your busy mind. A lot of the clients I work with um, through my somatic coaching, it's all, you know, we're all up here in our heads. And even as a dance dancer and dance lecturer, I was still not in my body, really. You know, I was always up in my head. So that that's sort of really driven me towards this topic and through my MA in dance movement psychotherapy um, I was looking at how you could use dance movement therapy in the workplace in an FE setting um, during the lunch hour you know in a half an hour slot um, to to help people switch off basically mm -hmm. and so my PhD is just a continuation of that really it's interesting actually because it's it that feels very of the moment and almost if you tried to do that 10 years ago straight after your MA it may not have I think resonated or connected with people in quite the same way as I suspect it will mm. now so so what have you have you been what are your tell us your methods your data collection methods in effect how have you been you know pursuing this inquiry yes so um I've tried to base it as much as possible on Larbin's methods at the time just so that I like you know he's the one that I'm looking at so I'm trying to um, use his ideas so I uh, I have conducted several quite a lot of um, 
movement observations in people's workplaces, so people sitting at their desks in offices. Um, and I did most of those in person and then obviously lockdown hit. So some of them were via video, which was part people had a choice whether they wanted me in the space or not anyway. Um, so, you know, it didn't make too much difference it being video recordings. Um, and with the movement observations that I did, there was, you know, very clear Laban structured movement analysis points that I was looking for as I was conducting those observations that then I could pull and um, analyse and get the data from um, and highlights of the problem areas, I suppose. So who, so who have your participants been, not, not just performing arts people? No, nope. so know. these were in the FE College, um, in an FE College and a web design company. Um, I had participants in both of those. Um, and in the FE College, it was mainly administrative jobs. So people that were sitting at their, definitely sitting at their desks most of the time rather than up and teaching. And then I had a couple of teaching assistants too, who tend in our case to be more office-based than necessarily always up and in, mm. in the classroom. Um, so um, yes, and so we had those, those two very different places. So one was a profit-making company and the other was an FE establishment. Okay. And um, are you guiding them through a set of movements and then observing? No, or... not at all. Oh. So it was uh -huh. literally being in the work, you know, their setting, nothing changes. I just um, a little sort of fly on the wall. Oh, just, I see. Just watching in and just seeing how their, their everyday movements happen. And what was quite interesting is sort of the first 20 minutes, I tended to not, observe too much because I could then see a definite shift usually about the 20 minute mark where people would um, suddenly relax you know they'd be sitting there knowing that I'd be observing sitting really upright <laughs> well yes and, I was just thinking wouldn't they feel compelled to move because you're yeah, watching them well yes and then that, mm. that sort of that by 20 minutes um, you could, I could always see the switch oh, now they've relaxed into and now what I'm seeing is the real thing rather than old Gillian sitting in the corner of the room watching mm. me um, so that was quite interesting and I had one person I was observing where we had video camera and me um, observing and they said actually the video camera was far worse than you so that mm. was really interesting to to hear that the you know the video camera didn't quite work for them. Okay, mm. just thinking in my office now, <laughs> you'd see me moving from a desk to my coffee machine quite a lot. That would be that would be, that would be the most popular movement. Okay, um, so I'm, I'm aware that you are self-funding your way through a PhD. Obviously, some people do get you know some support these days in FE, but you know not many. But you you deliberately chose to self-fund. Why why was that? Yes. Um. I think for me, there was something about I wanted to have full ownership of the topic. It felt like if I was funding it, I had a bit more say in where this goes. And I had a bit more say in, um, you know, at what pace I work. Obviously, the university sets sort of the deadlines and things for some things, but I do, I'm not accountable to someone else's agenda in any mm. shape or form which I really like you know I'm not 
I know that my job is secure regardless of whether I do my PhD or not, because it, the two are separate from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're happy to support me in offering out um, research participants, for example, that kind of thing. Um, and they're happy to reap the benefits of the things that I'm developing as a result, <laughs> which is great. Um, and I'm happy to share those. Um, but I'm not, I, yeah, is that not feeling bound by something else that's got to do with money? I think there's, you know, it's clear separation between the two. Okay. Um, now, while we're recording this, I'm sat in a caravan and it started raining, people. So <laughs> I'm going to pass over to Alistair to ask a few questions and I might pop back and just ask my final question. No problem. Yeah, thank you, Jack. <laughs> you can uh, sit there and hope the rain clears up then before we go on. But um, yeah, I'm really interested because um, listening to what you've been saying, obviously you've got one main key theorist that's underpinning a lot of your your work and study. But is there any other literature that's informed your thinking around this and giving you some direction with your study as well, Gillian? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the more I'm, I'm sort of in that phase at the moment where I'm developing and creating this intervention to help promote well-being and with that um positive sort of the positive psychology theories are coming up for me so um the theory of flow for example and um as a dance movement psychotherapist my belief is that how we move equals how we feel so if we change the way we move we can then therefore change the way we feel so that's sort of my underlying belief that's you know and that comes from Rudolf Laban um, but that sort of is informing everything else. So there is that psychological, sort of that psychological, mental element to it. So the positive psychology is definitely informing a lot of that. You know, the sort of study of happiness is informing where I'm taking things. Um, there are elements of Jung that are coming into. Um, how I'm developing the intervention. So I'm the intervention I'm creating are movement meditations, is what I'm calling them, um, which taps into the idea of Jung with the active imagination being used. But rather than sitting still, we're actually embodying um, that imagination and moving with it. Um, so the idea is that you're, you know, during a working day, you have maybe a 15 minute break where you get up you participate in a movement meditation either live or recorded um so you can decide whether you join a group of other people at the same time or whether you want to do it in your own time and you're you're basically taken on this journey um that brings you back into your body uh takes you into a different place different world you know so although you might still be in a, in your small little office that kind of doesn't matter because the the movement meditation allows you to use your imagination to go elsewhere um, yeah i like the sound of that <laughs> you might have to put, put me on a list for, for taking part um so You've obviously said you've been observing some people already and, and starting to to get to grips with things going on. Are there any emerging things that are coming out? I mean, there's obviously something that's informing your thinking here with, with the movement meditation. So are there any other emerging themes or, or findings? Well, I, I wish, you know, when I was starting those movement observations, I knew it would be quite tedious and difficult 
because there's not a huge amount of movement, you know, from what I, when I'm sitting at a desk, I know I don't move very much. But I think I was surprised and felt really emotionally quite upset by how little we move at a desk. Um, you know, there's hardly any movement from the chest downwards. Um, our kinosphere, so the space that we use around us, um, is really, really minimal. And if you think about um, how we move equals how we feel, I mean, what does, and how we think, how does that, you know, what, what impact does that have? So if our kinosphere is really tight and small, what, is that doing to our mind whereas if we stretch out and reach out and I'm doing it right now with my hands <laughs> as we're speaking you know there's something about being expansive and you know when you're allowing your body to be expansive straight away there's something that shifts in your brain as well and moves that allows you to think bigger greater more expansively if that's a word <laughs> yeah I like that I see that when you were talking I was thinking um that when we were working at home, I'd have my my speaker on behind me with some music, and because no one's around, and and uh, once the once the meetings are finished, then it's okay to dance to make a coffee and things like that. And it does it changes the mood and the way we feel. So just listening to you saying that, I'm thinking, hey, how can I how can I incorporate that into the office while everyone's watching? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, in a way, that whole thing was a blessing in disguise for it, for my research projects because I had just. Um, all the findings for some of my analysis had just come in my you know I was aware of the imbalances that are around by us sitting at desks um lockdown happened my sister was in Spain in a tiny little flat and I just thought oh no I need to do something for her and that's kind of where those movement meditations started um and I've just been building on them and it, at the time it wasn't a thing of oh this is going to be the intervention that's for my PhD it was just I know what the problem is with you sitting at home all day long because I've got it in writing um how can I sort of twist turn it around and make it better for you um and I think it was you know a year later that it just went click this this needs to be the intervention because you know, actually, I can get people into that zone of flow really quickly and easily through the steps that I take them through. Um, I am addressing all those things that I found, you know, your kinosphere being small. I make sure that it's expanded, that you have a different sense of space, even though you might be in a tiny office or a tiny room. You can still move in a way where you feel expansive and feel like there are no walls around and that there's a freedom there. You know, so lockdown didn't feel as bad anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's not the first time I've I've heard people say that the lockdown has has given them something, some inspiration or idea to work from. So it's it's nice yeah. to hear that. Um, okay, so what what does this mean then, Gillian? For I don't know uh, all the people around you in your institution, the students and the college, and and I suppose the rest of his education, and I'm I'm guessing the workplace in general, um, yeah. could benefit from this. But but what what does it mean for all of those groups really I think we all need to get up and move more um I mean I'm the worst for it I get very uh I can be incredibly focused on my work you know especially if brain work is involved I love researching and sitting at my desk <laughs> getting absorbed in typing um 
but we need we need to actively step away from it and allow our eyes to gaze around the space for example you know that whole recuperation so the things that are out of balance bringing them back into balance and active being quite strict with ourselves you know so saying actually at that particular time I do need to get it up and at that time I will then put a piece of music on and dance in the office you know and it's a shame that that isn't allowed in certain office cultures you know maybe that's something that needs to be introduced music is a great way of just loosening up isn't it and shifting the mood um a really, really quick and easy way, even if there's nothing else you can do, even just standing up and allowing your hips to move. Well, I sort of, obviously I haven't got the exact data for any of this yet, but so from my experience, the things that I observed was that if you find a way of connecting your legs back to your upper torso and your hips are the way of doing that, um, that that allows sort of flow to run through you a bit you know again uh so you're con connected back to your body again feel yourself a bit more centered um and then the other thing is that um sense of space so allowing yourself to maybe stretch out and if you can and if you have time to do it um and don't you know depending on the office situation just finding a way of changing your pace so um, you've been sitting at a desk still so if you can stand up and shake your hands really fast or run on the spot really fast just so you have a shift in how you use the you know the timing in your movement that also can make a massive difference i'm taking all these things away i'm, I'm making a, a mental list including probably a standing desk as well i think Gillian, because that sounds like it's useful um okay right so it's quite clearly not finished. I think you said earlier on uh, to us before before we started, you're about halfway through now. So it's the what next question, really. Um, what's next for you in the study, but also where you want to take it, I guess, as well? Yeah, so what's next for me in the study is um, I'm in the process of finalising what this intervention exactly looks like. The intervention that I've been talking about will be called um, uh, 10 Days to Move into Balance challenge the 10 day move into balance challenge um and uh so in terms of where i am with that i need to make sure that i get my ethical approval through so i'm you know putting together my literature review for it and starting to really put that ethics um uh, ethics application together so that that can be approved um hopefully before the end of the year and then and I'm up and running to do the intervention, the 10-day move into balance challenge, for which, um, if any of your listeners are interested, um, I'm seeking lots and lots of participants. And it's, as it says on the tin, 10 days. <laughs> that sounds really, really interesting for me anyway. Um, and uh, normally we'd ask for, for, have you got a key message? But I think you, you kind of almost did that just before we asked the last question, which was just about that being moving but is there anything else that that you want to share in there just move i think if you ever feel something that you aren't necessarily particularly fond of change the way you move and it will shift how you feel about things um you know so if you are feeling anxious for example if your mind is scattered and uh 
all over the place, you know, there's lots going on, bring it back into your body. That's what, what I'd say. Mm. And I'm thinking again, like just mixing, mixing the, the thoughts in my head. If I put a good playlist on and go for a run after a terrible day at work, it does change the way that you feel, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah definitely important message well thank you very much uh, joe is, is the rain yeah. cleared up are you ready now no not really but i'll speak loudly maybe and try and cover up the rain a few thoughts to add i'm now imagining alistair making coffee while swinging his hips in the corner of his office so that yeah that, what a great side that will be it's funny actually how a year of inactivity has connected more people with activity via digital spaces so um i took part recently in i think is it called qigong I don't know, sort of looks like Tai Chi, but it's not martial artsy. Um, and that guy had built up on Instagram a whole community of people through lockdown who are now joining him three times a week to move, mm-hmm. you know. So it was exactly that thing. And it was so it's a period of very clearly not moving, made people reach out to move with a community of people. So it's interesting. Should also mention one of our earlier podcasts, um, James, do you remember Alistair? His was all about flow and he works in a music college. So it's maybe, you know, maybe one to check out there. And then the final thing I want to say is um, adding the word challenge is always great. (laughs) Good move there. Uh, We all love that. I'm thinking the 10 uh, research colleges. So Alistair and I both work in colleges that are part of the research college group. So maybe it's a challenge that research college group could take on, given that it's part of somebody's research. We would all be incredibly welcome Mm. and we'd all get to move together, which is always a beautiful experience. (laughs) Mm, Absolutely. Well, I've missed dancing actually over the past year, definitely. Mm. Right. Well, look, um, we'll let you say goodbye now and go off to your evening. But thank you so much for joining us on the podcast um, and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to the FE Research Podcast, a Sheep Hill Studio production. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us again soon.